Well, uh, welcome to Big Valley. Welcome over there in the venue. And just super grateful for those of you that are watching online and uh, those of you that are visiting with us today. We're, 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 glad, you're, we're glad you're here with us. Um, I, too, want to just say thank you for your generosity up front. I have no doubt that uh, tomorrow when um, the people get here and count up all of uh, the, the offering and all of that, we're going we're gonna, to... Um, be able to match that, that gift. I have no doubt about that. If you're a friend of mine on Facebook, uh, I'll, I'll post that early in the morning as soon as I, I get the word. Or if uh, you're not a friend of mine and you want to be, just go on there and friend me and um, whatever. I accept everybody. <laughs> I do. I, I do. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, in John chapter 2, it says this. It says, on the third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. In John chapter 7, Jesus makes the Jewish religious leaders really mad. And in verse 30, it says this. At this, they tried to seize him, Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. In John chapter 8, these same Jewish religious leaders asked Jesus a question, and his answer once again really upset them. And it says this in Verse 19, it says, Then they asked him, Where is your father? You don't know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Beloved, throughout the, the ministry of Jesus, we read that phrase, My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My, my time has not yet come. And this phrase simply means that Jesus was on a divine time schedule. The, the phrase, my time has not yet come, simply means that God had a plan, and that plan came with a particular order, and nobody was going to alter the plan. Nobody was going to alter what God had laid out. And by the way, Jesus is still on a divine time schedule. And the next thing on that time schedule is what is called the rapture of the church. There's going to come a moment when God comes and takes his church, his bride, all true believers. Now when you get to the, the final week of the life of Jesus, something changes. It says this in John chapter 12. Jesus replied, the hour or the time has now come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's no longer my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Something shifts here. When you get to the last week of the life of Jesus, you now read the phrase, my time has now come. Jesus is now going to set into motion a number of things that will eventually lead 
up to his arrest, his death, and ultimately his resurrection. Now, as we go through this, I, I want you to keep in mind that Jesus is in complete control of everything we're going to look at. It, it, it can feel like he, you know, he's, he's not in control. It can kind of, you can get the, the sense that things are spiraling out of control, and, and they're not. Jesus is in absolute control of everything we're going to look at. And the other thing I want you to keep in mind is this, is everything we're going to talk about here is because he, he loved you. He loved me. He wanted to make a way for our sins to, um, to be forgiven. Okay, the Bible says this in John chapter three that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not be lost but have eternal life. God loved you so much that he gave his son. This was God's plan for, for you, for, for me. And this plan included God sending his son here this plan included his son, Jesus, dying on a cross. Now what I want to do is this. I, I, I want you to use your imagination. And for some of you, that's a, that's a hard thing to do. <laughs> that's okay. But I want you to try as hard as you can to uh, 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 imagine we've all been transported back into history. We're, we're all going to go back 2,000 years ago to the, the week before Jesus dies on a cross, okay? So Thursday would be day one, Wednesday would be day two, Tuesday's uh, three days before he dies, Monday's four days. It's now Sunday. It's five days before Jesus is going to die on a cross, okay? So imagine, you're back 2,000 years ago. It's Sunday, like it is right now. In five days, Jesus is going to die on a cross. Now, nobody knows that other than Jesus. So it's five days. It's Sunday, okay? And this is a, a day that Jesus is, is celebrated. Okay, what I want to do is I, I want to kind of lay out this last week of the life of Jesus. I've done my best to look at the four Gospels and and I've, I've, I've tried to kind of give you a taste of what happens each of these days leading up to the cross, okay? I'm not going to give you a comprehensive list of all the things, but at least you'll have a feel for what took place that last week in the life of Jesus. And on Sunday, it was really a day of, of celebration. People are coming from... Uh, uh, are coming to Jerusalem from all around the region to celebrate the Passover. Some scholars believe there may have been as many as two million people arriving in the city of Jerusalem. This is a, a, a great time of celebration and excitement. Now somewhere in this mass of humanity, this sea of two million people, is Jesus. Jesus is also making his way to Jerusalem for the Passover. He was coming from the Galilee region, and he's been walking the entire time. Okay, remember, it's Sunday. About two miles out, he's two miles from Jerusalem, he stops, and he gets on a donkey, and Jesus now rides on a donkey the remainder of the way into Jerusalem. 
Okay? He's been walking for miles and miles and miles. Two miles out, he stops, he gets on a donkey, and he begins to make his way into Jerusalem riding the donkey. Okay? Now, obviously, there were lots of people on this particular road that Jesus was on. And as he's making his way down this road, all the people begin to yell and scream and all this kind of stuff. Matthew chapter 21 says the crowds that went ahead of Jesus and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Pastor Bobby gave you a little sense of what that meant. Hosanna means save us now. Son of David was a messianic title. So what the people were yelling was, save us now, King Jesus. Save us now. Save us now, Jesus. You're the Messiah. Save us now. You see, these people, a lot of them uh, knew exactly who Jesus was. They had heard Jesus teach. Maybe they were there when he performed the miracle at Cana of uh, turning the water into the wine. Maybe they had seen him take a few loaves of, of bread and fish and you know, feed 5,000 people with it. Certainly many of them had heard him teach and the rumors had gotten around. And so as Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem Sunday, five days before he's gonna die, man, there's a great celebration. People are throwing palm branches down. Woo, it's a party, man. It's, un it's an unbelievable uh, moment. Now, Jesus stays in Jerusalem uh, all day, and then he heads back to the town of Bethany, and he sleeps for the night. Now, when he wakes up, it's Monday, and things are going to change. Things are going to get ugly. Remember, as time has come, Monday is four days until Jesus is crucified. And Monday was really a, a great day of tension, is how I've worded it. Jesus wakes up and he makes his way back to Jerusalem. Remember, he's in Bethany. He spent the night in a little town called Bethany. He wakes up, he makes his way back to Jerusalem, and immediately he begins to stir up the hornet's nest. When he gets to Jerusalem, Jesus immediately pokes the religious leaders really in, in the eye. Mark chapter 11 gives us a little taste of what happened on Monday. It says in verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began to drive out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise to the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you, that's the religious leaders, have made it into a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and they began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. This was a big day in the life of Jesus. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew it was coming on Friday. So he walks into the temple. He knows the religious leaders are there, and he begins kicking over all these tables. He starts kind of stirring up the hornet's nest, and then he makes this incredible statement. And it's at that moment that the religious leaders go, dude, we, we got to get rid of this guy. I mean, nobody talked to, to the religious leaders like, like Jesus did. And now they're fearing him. They, they see that he's kind of got the crowd around him a little bit. The crowd's rallying around him. And they all get together and go, we got to knock this guy off. And I don't think they were thinking about the cross. The, the, these guys were scoundrels. I'm sure they had some people on the payroll that we might call, you know, mafiosos. 
You know, that, we'll, we'll take the guy out. Let, let's get Petey, Johnny, Frankie, and you know, find him in an alley and just kind of, you know, off him. God's plan was, was coming together. Remember, his time had, had now come. Well, after another night's sleep, Jesus wakes up, and it's Tuesday. Sunday was a time of celebration. Monday was a time of tension. Tuesday was really a, a, a great day of teaching. We're three days out. Three days he's going to be crucified. On Tuesday, Jesus tells a number of great parables, the parable of the two sons, the parable of the tenants, the parable of the ten virgins, the, the parable of the talents. But in my humble opinion, Matthew chapter 23 is the key chapter for Tuesday. Jesus really brings the hammer down on these religious guys. And uh, it says this in Matthew chapter 23. I'm going to read quite a bit of it. Just imagine what's, what's happening here. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease any of their burdens. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels, and they love to sit at the head table at banquets and at the seat of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful, respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace, and they love to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your spiritual father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus is just getting warmed up. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven on people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others in either. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you are. Blind guides, what sorrow awaits you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple. You blind fools, which is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind! For which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? When you swear by the altar, you're swearing by it and by everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you're swearing by it and by God who lives in it. And when you swear by heaven, you're swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. 
What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, things like justice and mercy and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guide, just strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel instead. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed, full of self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outward you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you build tombs for the prophets that your ancestors killed and you decorate the monuments of godly people your ancestors destroyed. Then you say, well, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would never have joined them in killing the prophets. But in saying that, you testify against yourself that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started, snakes, son of vipers. How will you escape the judgment of hell? Well, that's quite a sermon. (laughs) You think Jesus kind of ticked off a few people? You think those men who on Monday were going, we got to get rid of this guy. You think they huddled up after this? This was huge. Remember, God had a plan, and that plan included a cross, and that plan included his son hanging on that cross. All Jesus is doing is he's just using the religious leaders. They're just pawns in his hands. The Roman soldiers were just pawns in his hands. Judas was just a pawn in his hand. He had a plan. The plan's going to kind of come to this incredible moment on Friday where he dies on a cross. And it's all because of you. He loved you. Cared about you. Loved me. Now after Jesus rips up the religious folks, he continues teaching. He teaches about the last days in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. He teaches about his upcoming death, actually, in Matthew chapter 26. Now finally the day ends and Jesus goes to bed and when he wakes up now, it's Wednesday, okay? It's now Wednesday, two days until Jesus is crucified, okay? And I just put that, you know, Jesus is sold out, okay? This was a, a day of demonic deals, if you will. This is a, the day that Judas makes the biggest mistake of his life. He makes a, a deal with 
the, the, the devil. Matthew chapter 26 says this, one of the 12, the one who was called Judas, he, he was one of the 12. He, he was one of Jesus' uh, personal friends. Jesus mentored him. Judas saw probably uh, most of the miracles that Jesus did. Judas was there when Jesus taught some of the great sermons that we find in the Bible. I'm sure there were times when Judas and Jesus sat down and, I don't know, went to Giacomo's and had coffee together. They just did life together. Judas had an up-close and personal view of, of Jesus Christ. He personally spent time with him. Judas went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him, Jesus, over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins, and from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. I actually have a picture of what one of these silver coins looks like. Why don't you put it up there? That's a genuine silver shekel. They call it the shekel of Tyree. And uh, that, uh, the picture there is a Phoenician god, uh, Milcourt, and, um, and on the back side, on the other side where the, you got the eagle, there's a K and a, and a P there, and that's the mint mark. And that coin right there was actually minted in Jerusalem. That coin would have been in Jerusalem at the very time that this all took place, okay? And by the way, that's the coin I wear around my neck. I just took some pictures of it before I had it mounted in this little thing right here. This is an actual ancient coin. It's over 2,000 years old. It's actually one of... Theoretically, this could have been one of the coins that Judas received. That's how old it is. It was actually in Jerusalem at the time that this took place. And let me tell you why I wear it around my neck. A lot of you ask, you see it, and what is it, and all that. When I was uh, a young believer, I remember reading this. And um, I remember thinking to myself, man, that's just unbelievable that here's a guy who got to hang out with Jesus. He got to do life with Jesus. He got to be mentored by Jesus. He saw what Jesus did. He, he, he was able to see, you know, how he had changed people's lives. And all it took for him to sell Jesus out was 30 of these. That's it. And I remember going, man, that's just unbelievable that a guy would to sell out the Lord for, for 30 of these. And this coin is a reminder to me every time I put it on in the morning or touch it like right now or look at it or whatever that it doesn't take much to sell out Jesus. Doesn't take much. I've done this for 30 years here. I've seen people sell out Jesus for a whole lot less than 30 of these. When I was a youth pastor here a long, long time ago, I was discipling a group of boys, and, and I would take them over here to McHenry to um, the Wienerschnitzel, <laughs> big, big spender. Hey, give me 10 mustard dogs, you know, and it was like, you know, 50 cents, you know, for 10 of them. Um, uh, anyways, a bunch of the guys couldn't make it. It was just me and another guy, and so I went up, and, and I ordered us two Pepsis. 
and uh, hand, uh, you know, came to a buck fifty or whatever it was. I hand the gal a twenty. She gives me my change and a twenty dollar bill. So she gave me twenty bucks too much. Now, my flesh, and this all happened within a nanosecond. My flesh was going unbelievable. Wow! Uh, I'm serious. This is this is fantastic. I got all my change and a twenty dollar bill. The Lord works in mysterious ways. That's right. You know, say, I'll tithe on it, I promise. <laughs> it, literally, all this is happening in, a, in just a split second. But of course, I have the Holy Spirit in me. And the Holy Spirit's going, no, that, that's crummy, that's wrong, that's sinful. That's not the way a follower of Jesus acts. And so all within a split second, and I hand the, this girl back uh, the $20 bill, and I said, hey, listen, you gave me $20 too much. And she said, oh, I know. I know who you are. I just want to see what you do. <laughs> Judas sold Jesus out for 30 of these. I almost did it for a $20 bill. Christian, people are watching you. You don't even know who's watching you. They know you're a Christian. They've probably seen your Bible maybe in your car or at work. They know you go to Big Valley. They, they, they know you're one of the 12, if you will, I guess. They know. And how you live matters. How you live matters. Now, no one's going to, you know, do it perfectly. <laughs> no one's going to live the Christian life perfectly, okay? We're, we're a church that understands that. That's why we have Celebrate Recovery and have all the stuff. We know it, we can't do it perfectly, but when you know you got a problem, you got to get help. you got to go to the Lord and do whatever it is you got to do to make sure that you're you're living your life according to the scriptures. Because people are, are watching, it doesn't take much. Not much. Sometimes it, all it takes is a six pack of beer. <laughs> Sometimes it, all it takes is 10 minutes in the backseat of a car with someone that's not your wife. Hey, at least Judah's got 30 of these. You see, it doesn't take much. And we all need to be very aware of our humanity. And this little vignette right here in Matthew 26 of Judas, when I was a young believer, really kind of frightened me. And along the way, in my journey of Christ, I've seen better men, better women than me, you know, who, people who've walked with the Lord longer than I've walked with the Lord, people who know more about the Bible than I'll ever know about the Bible, people who were, you know, very, very spiritual people, godly people who it wasn't a silver shekel, but it was something. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8. He said, what good is it for a man or a woman to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? 
And as a believer, look, if you really know the Lord, you can't forfeit your soul. I don't want you to, I don't want to, I don't want to mix up some things here. But wow, you can sure do damage to the, to the name of Jesus Christ when you make the decision to you know, do something stupid. Anyway, so anyway, God's plan's coming together. So Jesus goes to bed, and when he wakes up, it's Thursday, okay? It's now Thursday, one day until he's crucified, all right? Um, and I just call this Jesus is betrayed. Okay, and a lot of things happen on Thursday. Jesus spent, uh, sends two of his disciples to go and make plans for the Passover meal, and then later that night, he actually enjoys a last meal with his guys. He washes their feet and then leads them in what we now call communion. He takes the bread and he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he takes out the wine and he says, this is uh, the, 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 this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And what we're going to do on Wednesday, okay, we're going to do it on Wednesday because we've got child care, it's all set up. It actually happens on Thursday, though, but on Wednesday, we're going to kind of recreate what took place here on Thursday. We're not going to have a meal together, but we're going we're to wash feet just like Jesus did. And we'll have a section for the guys and a section for the gals and a section for families. And so if you come, mom, maybe with your daughter or your son or whatever, you can go into a section by yourself. Or dad, if you come with your son or your daughter, you can go into a section. Or if you're just here as a, as a gal by yourself or a guy by yourself, you'll be paired up with somebody or you can just find somebody. And then you'll go and each person will just wash each other's feet. The whole thing takes two minutes. You're not giving each other, you know, pedicure. I mean, here's just, it, it, it's very, it's symbolic, but it only takes a second. And I'll demonstrate it up here for you. But it's very significant. We're going to have music being played while we're doing it. And when you're done, you'll come back into this room and we'll be singing songs together. And then we will have communion together. We'll have the bread and the cup together. And once that's done, we'll end with singing. And... Uh, and it's really going to be, a, I think, a real powerful night. I think it'll be a really neat night of focusing our attention on, on, the, on the Lord. Then sometime after the meal and the foot washing and communion and all that, Jesus informs Peter that he's going to deny him three times, okay, which, you know, Peter totally disagreed with. Then later that night, Jesus makes his way down to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And while he's praying, the greatest betrayal ever takes place. Judas walks up to Jesus, and he betrays him with a kiss, at which point Jesus is arrested, and he's taken away to face the mockery of a, child, uh, of, of a, of a trial, okay, and that's all on Thursday. Now, tomorrow's a big day. Tomorrow's Friday, okay, and really the, 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 the time had come. Jesus dies. Friday is a day that, that looks bad, but is really Good Friday, what we call Good Friday. In John chapter 19, we get a little taste of what took place on Friday. Verse 1 of chapter 19 says, Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead tips whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put a purple robe on him. Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. And it was really, they beat him. 
Pilate went outside again and he said to the, to the people, I, I, I'm, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but I want you to understand clearly that I don't find anything wrong with him. There's no guilt in this man. This guy was a loser. He didn't find anything wrong with him. And yet he beats him to a pulp. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, look, here's the man. And I think the reason why he had to say that was is you wouldn't have been able to recognize him. You know, you, if you've ever been in a fight or you've seen two people who have been in a fight, you just get punched in the face a few times and your eyes swell up, you know. Well, Jesus had been punched multiple times in the face. His face was probably swollen up like a pumpkin. He probably had blood running out of his nose, out of his ears, out of his mouth. Crown on his head. And so Pilate has to say, hey, everybody, this is the guy. Just want to make sure you understand, you know, we didn't, we didn't, I didn't do a switcherooski in the, in the prison. This is him. When they saw him, the lead priests and the temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. Then Pilate, when, when Pilate heard this, he was even more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into his headquarters and again asked him, hey, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate commanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or the power to crucify you? Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called this stone pavement. In Hebrew, it's called Gabbatha. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover, and Pilate said to the people, look, here's your king, away with him. Away with him, they yelled, away with him, crucify him. What, crucify your king, Pilate said? We have no king but Caesar, the lead, leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away, carrying the body by himself. He went to the place called the place of the skull, and there they nailed him to the cross. Now why do we call this Good Friday? Now most of us in here know, but there are probably some of you here that, that really don't know. I mean, what, what's so good about it? Well, the reason it's called Good Friday is because Jesus' death made your salvation possible. And that's good, right? You couldn't save yourself. The, the blood of bulls and goats couldn't save you. The penalty of your sin was, was too great. Only the pure and, and righteous and holy Son of God could save you. And how did he, how, how did he do it? Here's, the, here, here's a question I'm often asked. How did Jesus Christ make it through this horrible ordeal? I mean, here's the second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus. All power he has. He comes down here as a mere human being. 
And now it's, you know, Friday and he's been beat up to a pulp, spit on, mocked. How, how did, did he make it through this? Well, Hebrews chapter 12 gives us a, a little bit of information. It's really powerful. Verse 2 says, let us look only to Jesus, the one who began our faith and who makes our faith perfect. He suffered death on a cross, but he accepted the shame as if it were nothing. How? Because of the joy that God had put before him. And now he's sitting at the right side of God's throne. Think about Jesus' example. He held on while wicked people were doing evil things to him. So do not get tired and stop trying. Here's how Jesus made it through that crummy moment. He kept his eyes on the Father. He kept his eyes on the fact that there was coming a moment when he was going to be back in the very presence of the Father. He knew the joy that awaited him when he was in the Father's presence. And that's how he made it through that. And then the writer of Hebrews says, look, when you go through crummy things, that's what you need to do. You're never going to experience anything as crummy as Jesus' face. Never. And you need to do the same thing Jesus did. And we talk about this all the time. you got to get your, your mind up here on, on holy things, spiritual things, biblical things. you got to gaze at the Father and think about the fact that whatever it is you're going through down here is, is, is going to end someday, and, and, and you're going to be in the very presence of the Father. And when you're there, there's going to be joy, 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 unspeakable joy. But too often, we get down here. When you get your mind down here, man, that'll just goof you up. That'll depress you. It's when you, you keep your gaze up there, when you're involved in Bible studies, you're coming to our men's events, or women's events, you're involved in church. You're not just attending church, you're involved in it. You're engaged in, in studying the, the, the scriptures. I mean studying the scriptures. Nothing wrong with reading Jesus Calling. Nothing wrong with that. I give it away as gifts. But if that's the only thing you're doing, let me tell you something. You're simply eating a Twinkie. And I know some of you go, what? Listen, I give that book away. But if that's the only spiritual intake you're getting, wow. That's a crummy meal. I'm talking about getting into the word of God, getting into the meat of the word of God. I'm not talking about taking three minutes in the morning and reading that. Nothing wrong with that. Don't misunderstand me. I've given that book away, and I will continue to give that book away. And I don't know why I picked that book. There's lots of them like that, little devotionals that take you, what, two minutes to read? They give you a goosebump, a neat thought. Nothing wrong with that. But if that's your intake of spiritual food... You're doomed. You'll never live the life that Jesus wants you to live. You'll never experience the joy that Jesus has for your life. 
I'm talking about getting into the Word of God. I'm talking about having a Bible study where you're in the Word of God. I'm talking about getting together with, with, with others where you're sharing the Word of God with one another. You're really digging in, asking good questions of one another, wrestling around with truth, memorizing the truth. For some of you, you came to know the Lord last week, last month, or whatever, and you know what, man, if you're doing that, just a little devotional, praise the Lord for you. That, that's where you kind of begin. But as you move along, you got you got to start taking in some real meat. Now, as I bring this message to a close, in the last few minutes I got, I want to give you two important thoughts about Friday, okay? Two important thoughts. Number one, Friday is all about God's love for you. It's all about God's love for you. Once again, the Bible says, for God so loved the world, and if you have your Bible open, you, you, you could just put your name above that word right there, world. I put my name there. For God so loved me, Rick Countryman, that he gave his one and only son that if I would believe in him, I wouldn't perish, but I would have eternal life with him. For God so loved you, he so loved me, that's what Friday's all about. It's a demonstration of his love for you, how much he cares about you. Romans chapter 5 says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, we were blasphemers. We didn't care about God. He didn't come down here and die for a bunch of really great people. He didn't look down here and go, man, I really got to have that guy in my kingdom because, you know, that guy will complete me. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit weren't all around talking one day going, you know what, this is kind of boring up here, the three of us. Let's go get some people and bring them up here. He doesn't need you. We weren't good people. But you were made in his image. And part of being made in the image of God is that, in a way, you're an eternal being. You're not eternal in the sense that God's eternal. He was the Alpha and Omega. But you're going to live forever. God knew that. He knew. He made you that way. You were going to live forever. And because of your sin... He couldn't allow you into his perfect heaven. He had another place created for the demons and for the devil, a place called hell. That's where sin resides. And he didn't want you going there. He so loved you, so cared about you, so wanted to, to, to have you be with him forever in glory. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, here for you. Look, I, I got a son, and I just want you to know, if I had to make a choice between my son and you, you know, if you're laying on a railroad track, my son's on the track, you're both knocked out, the train's coming, I only got time to save one of you. You know, just tell Jesus I said hi. I, you know, I mean, I, 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 mean, I love you, I do. I, I want you to know I, I love you. But 
I'm not going to sacrifice my son for you. I'm not going to do it. I, that God's love for you is beyond what I can comprehend. That he would sacrifice his son for me, for you. But let me just tell you something. Let's just suppose you were on the track and my son was on the track. And I made a, a, a decision and, and I sacrificed my son for you. Um... I wouldn't mind if you came to me and asked me, hey, listen, man, uh, I was wondering if you can give me a loan. I'm out, you know, I need some money. I need a new job. Do you got a job for me? I, I don't mind that. But if I said, no, I can't lend you any money or, you know, I don't really have a job opening right now or whatever, and you got angry with me, what do you mean you won't lend me any money, man? What kind of friend are you? Dude. I sacrificed my son for you. Just because I don't lend you any money, how dare you question me? And yet, that's what we tend to do as believers, huh? God gave his son for us. And then when God doesn't answer a prayer the way we want it answered, we get angry at God, right? It wasn't enough, God, that you sent your son, sacrificed him for me. I want more. And if I don't get more out of you, God, then I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to quit the church. I'm not going to give. I'm going to... Isn't that interesting? Look, when you get to a day like Good Friday... That's a day just to remember how much he loves you. Don't ever question how much God loves you. He loves you. This is how God showed his love among us, the Bible says. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Friday is a good, good day. It's a good day. It's a day that reminds us of how much God loves us. But number, number two, the love God showed on that Friday is still available today. The Bible says anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anybody who calls on the Lord will be saved. And here's what happens. In Luke chapter uh, 23, Jesus has these two really, really bad, crummy criminals hanging next to him. They're being crucified also. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong and then he said, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, I assure you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And listen to me, listen to me. I know I'm a little over, but just pay attention right now. Pay attention. What's happening right there in Luke chapter 23 when Jesus is on the cross is a little tiny microcosm of what happens in life. You see, those two criminals were dying. 
you're dying. Now, you're not dying on a cross, but you're dying. The Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. We die. We're dying just like those two criminals are dying. Everybody. And just like those two criminals, we all view Jesus a particular way. One of them mocks him, makes fun of him, ridicules him. Obviously wasn't a believer. I don't know, maybe that's you. But then there was this other guy who recognizes who he was and says, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life, Jesus. When you get to heaven, I want to be there too. That's some of us, right? We're all dying. And we all have a view of Jesus. And it's your view of Jesus that determines where you'll, where you'll spend your eternity. You see, Friday is a day where God says, I love you. Friday's a day that even says 2,000 years later, I love you. Friday's a day where, like these two criminals, you've got to look at the cross and make a decision. Am I going to just blow Jesus off? Am I going to keep living life my own way? Or am I going to realize who he is and surrender my life to him? And here's the deal. How crummy would it be if those of us that have given our life to the Lord didn't, didn't go, hey, look, we got a special thing happening. You see, the fact that Jesus died on the cross isn't that big of a deal to be straight up with you. The two criminals died. Jesus died. A lot of people died. Who knows? A lot of people died on that Friday on the cross. A lot of people died on that Thursday on the cross. A lot of people died on that Tuesday on the cross. A lot of people died Saturday, Sunday, Monday on the cross. That was just how the Romans killed people back then. That was their method of capital punishment. What makes Jesus' death really unique was they put him into a tomb, and three days later he walked out of the grave. You see? And that's what we have. That's what we celebrate next week. And folks, we're going to celebrate as Christians. We ought to celebrate. If there was ever a moment for Christians to party, it's, you know, Easter weekend. But it's also a time when we have to care about the lost. And this is where we go invite our friends. And let me just tell you something. Uh, I was with a friend of mine named Ben. He was up here singing the song here. And this past week, we were, or two weeks ago, we were together, and we were just thinking about some of our friends who don't know the Lord. And, and he was, we were praying for some friends that we were going to invite. And he told me about this one couple that he really wanted to invite to Easter. And so he met with them last week and went up to him and said, man, I just would like for you to maybe to come to our Easter gatherings. These people don't know the Lord and, you know, did the old, you know, and they kind of took the tickets, and, and, and here's what they said. Hey, thank you very much for inviting us, but, but we're not interested. Okay, that was, that was last week, and Ben was here today. Someone told him no, and he lived, <laughs> and life went on. Unbelievable. <laughs> hey. It's the worst thing that can happen is someone says, no, thank you. 
and go, okay, let me get my tickets back. <laughs> go, I don't know, go, go, go to the next guy, I don't know. Hey, someone's gonna say no. I'm just glad the fact that he invited the person. It's okay if someone says no. What's not okay is we don't invite people. That's what's not okay. And we all need to do that, and, and let me just tell you, <laughs> on, on this weekend right here alone, from babies through fourth grade, babies through fourth grade this weekend on this campus, there'll be over 500 children. Babies through fourth grade. That doesn't include fifth and sixth graders, doesn't include seventh and eighth graders, doesn't include high school kids. 500. On Easter weekend, you know, just double all that. We, we, we need help, family. We need help. And so it's really important that all of us, so, you know what, I'm going to come to one of these and I'm going I'm to serve at one of them. I don't hold a baby, uh, go in and work with our kids, be an usher, be a greeter. I don't know what it is. We, got, we just need some help. You don't have to do it forever. Just one weekend, pick a service and say, I'm going to be here to be a blessing. I want to help out. And you can go right outside these doors here in a minute or go online and, and let's all kind of do our part because it's going to be a great weekend. Now, if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ and you'd like to, I'll tell you right now, when we're done, I'm going to pray here in 30 seconds. You can walk right out those doors in that altar room and our elders, pastors, spiritual leaders in there, and we'd love to lead you to Christ. We'd love to tell you how you can have a relationship with Jesus. We'd love to invite you to do what one of those criminals did, just give your life to Christ. A lot of people do that. But we're not going to twist your arm. Jesus didn't, didn't twist either one of these two guys' arms that were hanging next to him. It's got to be a decision you want. If you don't, have the, you don't have the time to get up and walk into that room, then you know what? It, you, you just probably don't get it yet. But if you'd like to know Christ as your Savior, that's a place or a place where you can get prayer. Over in the venue, stand up. All of you stand up, okay? Father, thanks, Lord, for uh, our time today. And I, I sure hope, Lord, that just kind of looking at this last week of the life of Christ would really get us excited and pumped up about what's gonna happen next weekend if you don't come back. And Lord, as we go out and invite our friends, God, may many of them come, and who knows, Lord, maybe next weekend would be a great weekend of, of, of really a harvest of souls. Lord, I, I believe that's gonna happen, I do. And maybe there's somebody here today who just wants to go into the altar room. They, they sense God's calling them right now. They know it. Father, thanks for being a good God and loving us. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you guys, okay? Amen.